Bismillah. I think it's working. Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. Alhamdulillah Rabbil Alameen. Sallallahu wa sallam ala Sayyidina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi wa sallam. Duwayna ta'alumu wa ta'alimu wa ta'dakuru wa ta'dakiru wa naf'amu al-intifa'u wa al-ifadatu wa al-istifadu wa al-hathahati masuki bi kitabi Allahi wa sunnati wa sunnihi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. والدعاء إلى الهدى والدلالة على الخير بتغاء مرضات الله ووجهه وقربه وثوابه اللهم افتح لنا بحكمتك وانشر علينا برحمتك يا الجلال والأكرام بسم الله So uh, as you know we've been going through this text called the Prophet as a teacher صلى الله عليه وسلم And we left off on by Sheikh Abdul Fadah Abu Fadah رحمه الله we left off on hadith number 15. We left off on hadith number 15. It's very similar to the one that we left off on, so it's uh, maybe a little bit of a review. It says that Tabari and Abu Muslim and Kaji narrate on the authority of Al-Mughira ibn Abdullah al-Ashkuri that his father narrated to him saying, I went to Kufa and I entered the masjid. I saw a man from the Qais tribe whose name was Ibn Muntafiq, relating the following. Someone described Rasulullah to me, so I went in search of him. I saw him at Arafat and rushed to meet him. Someone told me, get away from him. So Rasulullah said, leave the man alone. He probably has some need. I therefore rushed forward until I reached him. I grabbed the nose ring of his camel and no one became angry at me. Okay. Then I said to him, I have come to you to ask you two things. Number one, what will save me from the hellfire? And what will admit me into paradise? Number two. Mm-hmm. So I'd ask you two things. These people are smart, you know? We talked about that before. They're very smart people, subhanAllah. Yeah, they get to the point. Sometimes we, especially sometimes our educational system, it encourages us towards this. We're just always like philosophizing around the perimeters. <laughs> you know, what about this? And what about that? And what about this and that? And so on. They're always in like some other place. He said, they came to him, he asked them very particular questions. What's going to get me into paradise and what's going to keep me away from the hellfire? So the Prophet looked to the skies and then turned to me with his noble countenance and said, Your question may be very concise, but the answer to it is very serious and lengthy. You must fully understand what I'm going to say to you. Then he said, Worship Allah and do not ascribe any partners to Him. Establish the compulsory salah, give the compulsory zakat, and fast in the month of Ramadan. So look at his answer. He brings it. To, he brings a person's attention first, and he tells them the five pillars essentially. Right? <laughs> do your salah, pay your zakat, fast in Ramadan. If you think about Subhanallah, like Islam has spread to many different places over history. Right? And not by conquering the, the Muslims Like the Muslim government has spread to many places Sometimes by conquering Sometimes not 
but Islam itself and the practice of Islam and the Muslims being in a place and holding on to their religion and stuff like this has spread to many places Islam spread somewhere what is it that keeps it somewhere like in, in the end you know subhanallah it actually reminds me there was a brother uh, he was a convert we were talking one time and his wife wasn't a convert but her parents were converts okay so her parents were converts they had learned about islam they were doing their islam he himself was a convert and he said you know and he was talking to me as a convert and he's like you know sometimes you know we're thinking about this we're thinking about that he's like but we always have we try to learn he's like but in the end of the day we have experience of life as not being a Muslim and like that line is always there you know it's like you see Muslims sometimes they're, they're they really follow the religion sometimes they don't but that line is not usually there for them they'll just be a Muslim that just doesn't do what they're supposed to do right but usually they'll still stay a Muslim so he's like you know we we're talking about it and so on and he's like you know my wife he's like I envy my wife she passed away so I envy my wife because she's like that five pillar Muslim. That's what he called it. He's like, she's that five pillar Muslim. And I'm like, what do you mean, you know? And he's like, she doesn't, it's very simple to her. There's a shadow on la ilaha illallah, a shadow on Muhammad Rasulullah. There's establish your prayer, pay your zakat, fast in Ramadan. If you're able to make hajj, you make hajj. And that's it, I'm good, you know? Not that I'm not going to do anything else, but like, I'm, these are my foundations, and I'm sticking to these foundations. And he's like, so she's that five-pillar Muslim. I was like, man, that's really deep. SubhanAllah, you know? And it's true. Like, there's, 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 the reason why I'm bringing this up is because when Islam spreads to all these different places, Islam survives in all these places. What, it, what makes it so that Islam survives? Yeah, we could have like, you know, you have to have local scholarship, and it has to deal with the needs of the people, and you have to answer people's questions, and so on and so forth. All of that is true. But really what anchors all of it is the five pillars. What anchors all of it is the five pillars. Do your salah. Don't miss it. If you miss it, make it up. But know that you have to maintain that. That's an important pillar. The salah is an important pillar. You know, the salah is so important in the fiqh that there's almost no way to get out of it. <laughs> you know, if if you're not if if you won't be able to stand up, then you pray sitting down. If you're on the battlefield, there's a fiqh for salah on the battlefield. Like you know, the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam, he he led the companions of salah in the battlefield, and it, there was a salah where like he would pray one rakah, and there's a group behind him, the other group was holding their weapons, and every, everyone holds their weapons still in the salah, but one of them is still like in battle, and they hold their weapons. The other one, one row prays behind him. Then like the second, the, they, they finish and the next group comes and prays behind him. Like he led both of them in Jama'ah basically. I forget the exact details of it and there's multiple cases. But the point is that Salah was so serious that even on the battlefield they didn't leave Salah. Right? Like that's, that's that five pillar Muslim Salah. Like this is, I'm not going to miss Fajr. And if I miss Fajr, I'm going to pray it when I wake up. I'm not just going to let it go. And I'm going to make sure that I do my maghrib, I'm going to make sure that I do my isha. And I'm not going to let this go, right? And then to pay the zakat and, you know, to give it to those who are really in need. Um, Sheikh Yusuf Wahid, Hafidullah, just put out an article on 
the use and misuse of zakat in the American Muslim community. <laughs> you know, open up Pandora's box on it, but it's worth reading. Sheikh Yusuf, mashallah, is a serious, he's a serious scholar. May Allah make him, uh, protect him and, and give him strength. You know, uh, he's, he's been in the Azhar, he grew up in the Azhar system, it's different. Like when you grow up in the Azhar system, you study these books that people study now and they think they're sheikhs, you study them in elementary school. Then you study their commentaries in middle school and then you study more in high school. So he's been in the system since the beginning. He's Hafiz of the Ten Qira'at, he's you know, a proper scholar and uh, he's very young, mashallah. And he's also finished his master's degree in, in comparative law now in Canada. Now he moved to Chicago, he's doing another master's degree in religion because they wouldn't let him in. Yeah, he has to do a master's degree in religion in America because his whole life in Azhar is not sufficient. <laughs> you have to have the academic study of religion in order to do a Western study of religion, right? But anyways, he wrote this article, you can read it, inshallah. And we give zakat and we pay and we do our fasting and make our hajj. So the Prophet ﷺ in the answer to the person's question, answer person's question is very simple, right? How do I stay out of hellfire? How do I go to paradise? He said it's a serious question. Then once he got the guy's attention, said, five pillars. <laughs> do your five pillars. Sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Hadith number 16, the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam and Muslim Abu Dawood and Tirmidhi narrate on the authority of Anas radiallahu ta'ala anhu who said, a woman had something on her mind, so she said, O oh, Rasulullah, I need to speak to you. He replied, O oh, woman, choose whichever pathway you like so that I may come there and fulfill whatever need you have. Rasulullah then spoke privately with, one, with her on one of the pathways until she completed telling him of her need. In the narration of Abu Dawood, the following words are mentioned. She sat down and Rasulullah also sat down with her until she completed telling him whatever she needed. So there's, we've talked about this hadith before. Um, there's a number of things about this hadith. First of all, the woman comes to the Prophet ﷺ directly. She says, Ya Rasulullah, I have, this, I have something I need to talk to you about. Uh, in some of the narrations, uh, this one it says, The way they translated it here is that she had something on her mind. You could translate it that way. Allahu Alam needs a reference of some of the commentaries, but uh, it's an interesting expression. It, just from a purely linguistic side, you could understand it as she had something on her mind, or you could also understand it as like she was a little bit unstable. Either way, the Prophet them dealt with her very kindly, right? So she said, I have something I want to talk to you about. He said to her, them, go to wherever you want, sit wherever you like, and uh, you know, I'll help you with whatever you need. Sallallahu alaihi wasallam. And so she sat down on one of the pathways of Medina, right? and he sat with her and he listened to her. Sallallahu alaihi wasallam until he took care of her need. Uh, obviously, one of the main points of this is equal access to religious leadership. That this woman was able to come up to the the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam and express this need to her, or to him. Sallallahu alaihi wasallam. But also is the way that the Prophet dealt with her. And, uh, you know, in his statement, go sit wherever you feel comfortable and I'll come and I'll sit with you. 
He's basically allowing because obviously that he's not going to sit with her completely privately, right? Has to be some level of publicness to it. Otherwise, it would be an unacceptable amount of privacy. So the Prophet ﷺ is telling her, like, okay, sit anywhere around here, and I'm going to come and sit with you, and we'll talk to you. So he gives her the option to sit in a way and in a place that's going to make her feel comfortable. And then he sits with her and he listens to her, وسلم, until the need is taken care of. Uh, there's many things that can be taken from that, but yeah, that will suffice for now, inshallah. He, uh, وسلم, also, you know, like this. Um, anyways, he helped her. The unique traits of Rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam. This is a new section. So in this new section, he's going to give uh, a little bit of opening comments, and then talk about some of the traits of the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam that he has as an instructor. Um, it's not actually all hadith driven, whereas that first section was all hadith driven. Now he's going to talk about different attributes of the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam that he had. His unique traits. Following is a description of the unique traits, merits, and noble character of this messenger, sallallahu alaihi wasallam, the teacher. Knowledge of these traits will complement our knowledge of his personality as a teacher. His personality as a teacher is an intrinsic and inseparable component of his character. His traits demonstrate the reason for the ready acceptance of his statements and rulings, the emulation of his actions, and the impact with which they had, which they had on the people. These encompass all facets of worldly and religious life. The following is therefore also a guideline and a directive as to how a teacher ought to be in his outlook, thinking, character, actions, dealings, speech, and external and internal self. Allah Ta'ala says, There is a perfect example for you in the Messenger of Allah. Imam Abu Hassan Ali bin Muhammad al Mawardi al Basri al Baghdadi was the chief judge of his time. He was born in 364 after Hijra and passed away in 450 after Hijra. He has elaborated on the particular traits and attributes which Allah bestowed on his messenger The following is a summary of what is mentioned by the Imam in his book, Alam al Nubuwa. The prophets of Allah were the choicest of his servants because of the responsibilities of prophethood. He therefore selected them for the, from the noblest of stock and assisted them with the firmest of supports in order to safeguard their lineage from any blemish and their position from any discredit. As a result, souls would be most compliant to them, hearts would associate with them in utmost purity, and people would be very responsive to them, and most obedient in carrying out their orders. And there's many different signs of prophethood, so on and so forth. Uh, perfection is in four elements. Perfection in creation, perfection in character, perfection, excellence in speech, and excellence in action. So he's going to talk about each of these. Perfection in creation, perfection in character, and excellence in speech and in actions. The Prophet uh, his perfection in form and appearance is based on four attributes. First one. Number one attribute is Sakina. Number one attribute is Sakina, tranquility. There's a there's a repose to the Prophet. Right? There's a strength of character and a um, steadiness of disposition to the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam.
Uh, by the way, if you came before I said it, we're going to pray Maghrib, maybe in half an hour, inshallah. There's enough time for that. Inshallah, we're going to pray in about half an hour. We'll finish in about half an hour and then we'll pray. So we're in that time of year. Those of you who have been coming, you know, there's, there's, this is that time of year where you're kind of like, Maghrib is right in the middle. So we have to start right at five and then we have to, inshallah, um, stop a little bit earlier than we normally would in order to pray, which is a good thing. That's number one. Number two is that our brothers and sisters in Colombia, Medellin, uh, they send their salam to you. MashaAllah. Uh, had a beautiful trip there last weekend. And uh, we got to see them. Some of you, some of the old school Medjus people know that some of the original Medjus volunteers and pillars, they've now moved to the city of Medellin in uh, Colombia. And uh, they have a project there, mashallah. And this is our second time visiting them now. And it's very beautiful. They're doing really good things. They told me that today, for example, they, on their Sunday class, they had a protest outside their Sunday class. <laughs> it's the first time. <laughs> I don't know if you heard. <laughs> they had a, they had an evangelical protest outside their class today. It's usually everything is fine. Alhamdulillah, everything is okay. But today they had a little protest. But nonetheless. They had, um, I said about maybe 30 people who attended, and 8 to 10 of them were not Muslim. So it shows you kind of like the, you know, people are interested, people want to know about Islam, they want to learn, and so on. So, mashallah, we had a beautiful trip last weekend. Allah give them tawfiq, pray for them, and pray that maybe we can do like a Majlis trip to Medina. It would be cool. You know, inshallah, we're talking to them about it. We can go together, we can stay in a hotel, see a little bit of the city, visit some coffee farms, see the nature, have some lessons, stuff like that, and then see our brothers and sisters who are there, see their project and stuff like that. And we'll give them to them. So the perfection and creation of the Prophet them is based on four. Number one, Sakina, tranquility. This quality inspires reverence, veneration, submission, and surrender. The Prophet ﷺ was most awe-inspiring in the hearts of people. Even the envoys of Khusro, the Persian kings who came to him, trembled out of awe for him. Although he did not display any grandeur, nor did he arrogantly display his power. This was despite their being accustomed to the might of their own kings and the excesses of other tyrant kings. Humility was his innate attribute, and he was well known for his easygoing nature. This to me is one of the most beautiful and incredible descriptions of the Prophet. He has this sakina, he has this humility, he has this softness, and yet the people who come in front of him, they feel awe. It's a remarkable thing. It's a very remarkable thing. Uh, and it does exist. And it's from Allah. Like it's, it's, it's only because someone is like not worrying about these things you know, Some people they worry about how do I be powerful And how do I be masculine And how do I be all of these other things And how do I lord over other people And if I position myself in a certain way And I sit this way and I carry myself that way And I put the chair like this and all of these other things Then when people come in they're going to feel a certain way you know? And people used to do that The kings of the Persian kings used to do that right? Like they used to make it so that the the rooftop is a little bit low so that in order to come into their presence you have to bow a little bit right you have to kind of bend a little bit so you get into their presence 
And that's why the Muslim envoy, you know the story of the Muslim envoy, when they went and they saw that, they turned around they, and turned backwards. <laughs> you know, <laughs> we're not going to do that to you. <laughs> it was an honor that people had. And uh, so, you know, the Prophet he didn't do any of that. The, the, there's no posturing to it. There's no positioning to it. He just is with Allah such that he can be absolutely humble and absolutely easygoing, like is mentioned here, easygoing and, and everything else. And people still feel awe in front of him. Sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. It's really amazing. It's really amazing. Um, one of the things that will sometimes be mentioned is that one of the keys to understanding a lot of the descriptions of the Prophet is that you have to meet people who are like true heirs of the Prophet They say that the, the, the true scholars are the heirs of the Prophet And uh, suffice it to say that this thing is real Like there's people that you meet them And they're totally humble and totally easygoing And you've never seen anything but good from them And still when you sit with them like I've, I've sat in front of people like that and I sit in front of them like the sitting of a child in front of a parent, you know, like like a well-mannered child. I should be specific. A well-mannered child, <laughs> you know, like just you're, you're very like or, or the sitting of a student in front of the teacher or whatever, you know, like very like subhanAllah, you just there's an awe. You, you can't you don't know what to do. There's just uh, it's from Allah. Second attribute is talaqa. Talaqa is cheerfulness. This quality inspires devotion and love. It enhances sincerity and amiability. His Sahaba loved and cherished his cheerfulness. After a while, followers often dislike some of the attributes that they perceive in their leaders. But this was, this was not the case with anyone who accompanied Rasulullah No person who accompanied him ever disliked him, and no person who was close to him ever distanced himself from him. He was more beloved to his Sahaba than their own parents and children. He was more beloved to them than cool water is to a thirsty person. So we had a kind of cheerfulness. How, you may wonder. Does a person with the amount of worries and concerns and responsibilities that the Prophet had, how does a person who's in that kind of situation maintain this level of cheerfulness? This is an interesting thing to think about. Right. The thing that comes to mind for me is that we're talking about the Prophet We're talking about a continuous and strong connection to Allah. And Allah remains and everything else passes. It's part of one of the basic things you know, sit with Shaykh Fuad, but we repeat that over and over again, right? When you study Aqidah, one of the things that comes up in Aqidah is everything that's in existence passes. The only thing that remains is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So even if you're facing the most difficult things and the most hardest things, if you're connected to Allah, you know that there's a steadiness in that connection to Allah and everything else becomes minimized in front of it. It's not that you're ignoring it. It's not that you're um, you know, passing it off. It's not that you're patronizing or something like that, right? It's just that the connection to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is bigger. No matter what it is. So, no matter what it is, it's Allahu Akbar. 
The Prophet and, and, and the Prophet dealt with tremendous tragedy, tremendous difficulty, right? Like he saw his friends get killed. He was driven out of his home. He buried the vast majority of his children. You know, except for one. He buried all of his children. Sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. He faced tremendous hunger, tremendous hardship. Uh, went to battles. He, he faced betrayal. Right? He was double-crossed. He faced hypocrites. Like everything you can imagine the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam went through. Faced the loss of his, his parents, his family, his, his grandfather, his uncle. Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. He faced the loss of his wife. Like he... Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, his life is filled with difficulty. But the enduring motto of the life of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam is Allahu Akbar. Allahu Akbar. So how do you have a cheerfulness in the face of all of that? Because Allah Akbar. How can you? Yeah. It's the only way. Third attribute is Husnul Qabul. This means like good acceptance. It says this quality attracts and causes hearts to incline in one's favor with the result that people hasten in obedience and submission. He keeps mentioning that, but uh, it might not be the best translation perhaps Rasulullah captivated the hearts of people his companionship was so firmly embedded in their minds that even the most obstinate and distant from him would not feel estranged exceptions to these were of course those who were driven by malice to distress him and those who opposed him be- due to being deprived of guidance so generally speaking the Prophet the idea here is that he I think of this like an embrace, you know? Yeah, it means good acceptance, is a direct translation. But really what this means is that the Prophet embraced those who came to him. And sometimes, by the way, this is not understood by people. You know, sometimes you, you see Shiyu who they have amongst the people who come to them, people who other people will look at them and they think they're really bad, you know? Like, how is this person with the sheikh? How is, how is the sheikh okay with this person and so on and so forth? And it's because their job is to accept the person and to embrace the person. Not to affirm them in what they're in, but to they embrace them. And in embracing them, they're able to keep their company, they're able to give them advice, they're able to encourage them towards improving themselves and so on and so forth. It's not that like everyone has to be perfect to be around the person. They come to the Prophet and whoever comes to the Prophet he embraces them 100%. You know? You're with me. That's Rasulullah You come to me, you want to be with me, you're with me. You can be a drunk. Right? Like we know the story with the man who was uh, addicted to drinking in the time of the Prophet and he came and he was caught drinking and he was punished. And he was caught drinking and he was punished. And he was caught drinking and he was punished. And they the one time when they were, he was being punished, they said bad things about him. And the Prophet ﷺ stopped them. He told them, don't say anything about him. Because I bear, because this man loves Allah and his Prophet It's beautiful, right? So he embraces them still. He embraces the people. You know, whatever their situation, he embraces them. Uh, one story one of our teachers mentioned is that one time he was... Um, You know, like one of the things that happens with the big, like big, big shiuch is that everyone wants to see them, you know? 
So someone kind of has to help them with that. <laughs> because you can't imagine, you can't manage like a hundred visitors. You know, how are you going to manage a hundred visitors? And like one person comes and the next person comes and the next person comes. It's very difficult. So the, the sheikh was saying that for his sheikh, he was the one who was kind of like welcoming people and talking. He would open the door, answer the people's home and so forth. And uh, one time when he, he opened it, and the person who came just like was not in a good condition, you know. And he smelled like cigarettes and he smelled like alcohol and he just didn't look so good and so on and so forth. And, and when he came in and the sheikh greeted him, he greeted him like he was the most important person in the world. He said that really like struck him, you know. And this is what we were talking about the Prophet that the Prophet was embracing to the people. Embrace them and keep them with them. May Allah forgive us. May Allah forgive us. You know, sometimes like we try to be fair, but human beings are human beings, right? Sometimes you have like maybe you have a group of kids, right? And maybe you know half of them, you don't know half of them. And you know some of them, you don't know some of them. You know, and some of them, you know their parents really well. So if one of them might be like upsets you a little bit, but you know their parents really well. You might deal with them, a little, you might have a little bit more patience with them, right? Okay, like, I know their parent, and I'm going to be patient with them, and like, out of respect for their mother, out of respect for their father, I'm going to be, you know, so on and so forth, whatever else it might be. May Allah forgive us, because even sometimes when people upset us, If they say Ashadu Allah ilaha illallah, Ashadu Allah Muhammad Rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam, they're from the Ummah of the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam, and he's the Prophet who said like his concern is on the day of judgment everyone will be saying nafsi nafsi and he'll be saying ummati ummati sallallahu alaihi wasallam. You know, on the day of judgment, everyone will be saying, I'm worried about myself, I'm worried about myself. And on the day of judgment, he'll say, I'm worried about my people. And then we, like, at least, you know, like, you take the example of the kid with the parent. You have the kid, the parent, you have patient. Whoever's in the Ummah of the Prophet, they're in the Ummah of the Prophet. They said, I believe in Muhammad. They can have whatever issues they have. They said, I believe in Muhammad. He's going to look for his people. I won't be the one who like betrayed the trust of the Prophet and his people. Allah forgive us. Reminds me of the story of uh, Habib al Qadr al Saqaf. I've told it here before. If it wasn't for the fact that like people that we know have met him, like it's it's that recent. It's not one of these eight hundred years ago stories. Like it's, it's really a remarkable, it's almost unbelievable when you hear it, but you know people, like, it's witnessed, you know, it's only one generation removed. Um, that one time he was somewhere, and some people were talking to him, and they, they walked him to the car, and he gets in the car, and uh, 
he gets in the car and someone's still talking to him at the window of the car and everything else and then finally they finish and they go and they start to drive away he's in the passenger seat they start to drive away and uh, after they leave out of the distance so people can't see them anymore he tells the driver can you pull the car over and he says yes and he pulls the car over and he says can you come to my side and open the door and there's like some sweat, you know. <laughs> they said, come to my side and open the door. So he comes to the side and he opens the door and he realizes that the sheikh's hand was in the door. It's extreme. You know, it's an extreme story, but he says, hand is in the door. And I told him, like, sheikh, your hand is smashed like in the door the whole time. Why, why didn't you say anything, you know? And he said, basically, these people, they walked me to the car. They wanted to honor me and show kindness to me and so on and so forth. And, you know, their hearts were in that. And if I was to tell them that the door closed on my hand, then, like, who am I to break the heart of someone from the Ummah of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam? You know? fourth attribute of the Prophet وسلم, that was perfection in his character was that people were inclined to follow him. These four attributes are required for success in our tenets of the Prophethood and they are found in, in Rasulullah to their perfection. As for perfection in character, number one attribute is his mental composure, correct thinking, and accurate foresight. SubhanAllah. These pervaded the life of Rasulullah and can be engaged from his sound opinions, being engaged from his sound opinions, precise planning, excellent arrangements, and from the fact that he never fell short in the face of any plot or hardship. He was able to discern the outcome of a matter at its commencement and was able to identify its advantages or disadvantages and solve its complexities. This state of affairs can only be achieved with accurate foresight and clear determination. This is a really interesting thing. Um, Now there's various levels, there's various kinds of in intelligence. Uh, the prophets were endowed with piercing foresight and, and strong intellects that are not like, they're not things that you learn in a book and you just have it, right? This is like the step after that. One example of it is the way that the prophet solved the issue of the black stone, right? when the people were trying to build the Kaaba and they were about to fight each other out of who's going to get to put the black stone in its place the Prophet Sallallahu solution to that is brilliant the Prophet Sallallahu solution to we have a body of people who are coming as immigrants to Medina and we have a local population in Medina right and his solution to that whole social, economic, political situation was brilliant, sallallahu alaihi wasallam, and that's actually one of the great the signs of like the the great great people is that they're able to keep very diverse people together, and and, and they manage it somehow. 
And as soon as they're gone from the situation, everything falls apart. Uh, because their their role was so special. Sallallahu he was like that. So his intelligence, you know, his mental composure, correct thinking and accurate foresight, he was able to solve any kind of situation. And uh, again, there's there's a level of this that it's it's basira based. Like it's it's there's a level of it that's insight. It's it's from Allah. Like it's it's not just purely you know, they did the math and they put together the right answer. But that there's something else. Allah is guiding them uh, also. Number two, second attribute, remaining firm and resolute when his enemies search for him and is remaining patient at times of adversity, apprehension, and war. SubhanAllah. He was tranquil under various situations. He would neither cower in hardship nor succumb in difficulty. His unpleasant experiences with the Quraysh of Mecca would have destroyed protected forts and tired others. But despite being the oppressed, his patience and firmness as a conqueror gave him the upper hand. So the Prophet regard all the different situations that he was in, in all of these situations, he maintained his composure and he was firm and resolute. He didn't give up. You know? And in the most in the again the example that comes is the example of the cave of uh, Thawr, right? In the Hijra, when the Prophet is in the Hijra and they're being chased and they can be apprehended at any moment. And the people come all the way to the mouth of the cave. And Sayyidina Abu Bakr, who is the greatest person after the prophets, he's concerned, right? And I don't think it's possible actually probably for us to comprehend the rank of Sayyidina Abu Bakr and Sayyidina Umar and Sayyidina Uthman and Sayyidina Ali. Like these were remarkable, remarkable people. But Sayyidina Abu Bakr is like a little bit concerned. And the Prophet tells him, don't worry, Allah is with us. What do you think? Allah is with us. What do you think of two who Allah is their third? Don't worry, Allah is with us. Right? And um, so that's a resolution. It's a resolution in the face of like really tough situation. But no, I'm going to keep going. And again, how you do that is because Allahu Akbar. Third attribute, his abstention and diversion from the world and his contentment with the barest minimum. Sallallahu alayhi wa Beautiful. He did not succumb to the splendor and sweetness of this world, although he ruled from one end of Hijaz to the borders of Iraq, and from one end of Yemen to the coast of Amman. He was totally disinterested in the treasures and booty others hoarded. He did not leave behind anything and had no debts when he departed this world. He did not dig any canal, build any castle, and he did not leave any possessions or wealth as inheritance for his children and family. He did so to divert them from the desires of this world, so that they could lead a life of abstention as he had done one who was on such a level of asceticism that he even encouraged his sahaba towards it cannot be accused of pursuing this world he would never have fabricated a lie against Allah by seeking the hereafter by means of this world he would never have been content and pleased even with the tiny share of this world and a turbid life while the hereafter was snatched away from him actually one of the proofs of his prophethood is the way that he lived despite having access to everything if you think about it, right? Like, think about the Prophet's home. There's nothing in his home. There's a little bed that has no mattress. Right? And there's like a bowl. There's some weapons. And that's his house. Conquered lands. and I mean, there's times when the Prophet gave a valley full of livestock. Right? So the whole, everything you see in this valley is for you. He didn't take anything, And that in itself is a is a sign of his prophethood, 
Fourth attribute, his humility before his own followers, even though they were totally obedient to him. It's also an interesting one, right? So they were totally obedient to him. And he was absolutely humble with them. It's beautiful. He used to walk in the marketplaces. He used to sit on the ground and intermingle with his sahaba and colleagues. He was never aloof from them. He was extremely modest and his head was always lowered. He was less renowned for his humility and self-effacement. A Bedouin once came to him and trembled out of awe of him. But he calmed him down and said to him, Relax, there's no need for that. After all, I'm the son of a woman who used to eat dried meat in Mecca. Like, oh, son of my, my mom used to eat meat the way your mom, you know, they'd eat the beef jerky, <laughs> the way your mom ate beef jerky. Like, just it's okay, we're in the same place. This demonstrates his noble character and dignified habits. These were firmly embedded in his natural disposition. They were not just a few limited traits which could be counted. Rather, he had numerous traits which displayed his noble character and dignified habits. Some along the line in the gathering recently, okay, you know, in the recent past. And uh, some people were there, some people had children there and stuff like that. And there was some shaykh there. And, uh, like, you know, the leading shaykh out of all of these things. He came and he came in and, like, other people were talking and stuff. And there was a, a small kid. Like, I don't know. Like, old enough that the kid can walk around and break things but not old enough that they can talk <laughs> year and a half to type thing yeah. and you know the sheikh came in and everyone was talking to each other and whatever so he saw the kid and he just sat down on the floor with the kid started playing with him that was like subhanallah like that's that's the sunnah of the prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam he didn't sit he didn't come in and be like okay that's my chair you know <laughs> fifth attribute his forbearance and dignified bearing when faced with pro pro provocative recklessness and foolishness. <laughs> oh, man. He was most forbearing and calm in dispute. In the face of the crude behavior of the Bedouins, he never uttered a word to offend them. Every, every forbearing person falters, and every dignified person errs. But not Rasulullah sallallahu Allah had most safe, certainly safeguarded him from reckless desire and power, which could have resulted in mistakes and errors. So that he was most affectionate to his followers and most considerate to creation. The Quraysh attacked him in every way possible and tried to commit every possible crime against him. Despite this, he was most patient with them and ignored them. Their transgressions were not committed only by the foolish and ignoble among them. Rather, they were committed by their intelligentsia and seniors. Everyone, the leaders and the ignorant, had opposed him. However, the more persistent they were, the more he ignored and overlooked their opposition. In fact, when he gained the upper hand, he pardoned and forgave. When he was victorious over them on the occasion of the conquest of Mecca, and they had all assembled around him, he said, What is your opinion about me? They replied, You are the son of a noble uncle. If you pardon us, that is what we think about you. If you exact revenge, we have certainly done wrong. The other people, after everything that passed, this is what they said. So the Prophet said, Rather, I say to you what Yusuf has said to his brothers, there is no reproach on you this day. May Allah forgive you, and He is the most merciful of those who show mercy. Sixth attribute, last one, and then we'll break for salat, inshallah, and dinner. Upholding covenants and fulfilling promises. The Prophet always kept his covenants and never broke his promises. 
For him, treachery was a major sin, and going back on one's word, a wicked trait. He would therefore endure the most trying conditions and bear the most difficult of trials if keeping his covenant and fulfilling his promises had demanded this of him. But when the other party broke a covenant, Allah provided a way out for him, as was the case with some of the Jewish tribes in Medina. These six attributes are found to perfection in the character of Rasulullah and by them Allah favored him over his entire creation in this regard. Inshallah, next time we'll continue with excellence in speech and then excellence in, uh, in his actions. And then we come to a new section on the teaching methods of the Prophet. Anyone have any comments or questions or anything you'd like to pose before we break for Salah? No? Okay. Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. اللهم إنا نسألك الهدى والتقى والعفاف والغنى اللهم استرنا بسترك الجميل اللهم إنا نسألك العفو والعافية والمعافاه الدائمة في الدين والدنيا والآخرة ربنا آتنا في الدنيا حسنة وفي الآخرة حسنة وقينا عذاب النار ربنا لا تزن قلوبنا بعد إذ هديتنا وهبنا من لدنك رحمة إنك أنت الرهاب ربنا آتنا من لدنك رحمة وهيئ لنا من أمرنا رشدا اللهم عنا على ذكرك وشكرك وحسن عبادتك اللهم يا عالم السلم لنا لا تهتك الستر عنا وعافنا وعف عنا وكننا حيث كنا اللهم إنقل قلوبنا لكن بهنا من غفلة عنك اللهم جعل آخر كلامنا لا إله إلا الله محمد صلى الله صلى الله عليه وسلم اللهم صل وسلم وبارك على سيدنا محمد وعلى آله عدل كمال الله وكمال لكم بكمال سبحان ربك رب العزة عما يصفون والسلام على المسلم الحمد لله رب العالمين like a shorter adhan and iqamah, inshallah, maybe zawan. Assalamu alaikum online people.